there is nothing worth living for unless it is worth dying for. My grandmother lived a life devoted to Jesus, and today her talks have been made available in their original form. So you too can be built up through the insights and mysteries God revealed to her throughout her ministry. Now, without further ado, here is Elizabeth Elliot. We will try to give a short answer to these questions here, so we can't elaborate too far. Yes, I do want to give a biblical answer whenever it's possible. If it's not, if I can't think of a biblical answer, I may give you an Elizabeth Elliot opinion, which is not worth very much. And, and occasionally she does defer to me and ask me to take a couple of questions, and so I'm here to kind of help run with illustrations sometimes and to keep the questions rolling. It's an eight-year-old. Here's a question by an eight-year-old, very logical question. Why did the Alka Indians kill your husband and not you? Well, I wasn't anywhere around when the five men were killed. I was a long way in another station. So, but when I went in to live with the Indians, I had already had two Alka women living with me in my home. And the time came after almost a year of living with me. They said, we want to go home when that palm fruit is ripe, and we want you to come with us. So the way was already prepared by those two Alka women. And this one here, I think my wife has already spoken to high school girls as well as young single women, but I don't think you mentioned three principles that would be very good for any man or woman to remember. Keep your clothes on. Keep your hands off. <laughs> Keep your clothes on. And stay out of bed. And you're not going to find yourself in a compromised position. Someone here, this is so simple a question to answer, uh, and I'll take it since it's the concerns of man. What if your boyfriend is upset with you sometimes because you have decided to abstain from sex? Get rid of that boyfriend. After waiting 49 years for my husband, after almost six years of marriage, the Lord chose to take him home last week. Now I will have more time to serve the Lord, but how do I survive living alone, getting rid of his things, not wearing his ring? One day at a time, right. Pressing into Jesus, right. Not looking to people, right. But to him, right. Can, how can I ever have another man? Love another man. Or consider marriage in the future. I certainly wouldn't give it any thought about marriage in the future now. If you've, you've had one man, even if it was a very short time, uh, just one day at a time. I don't think you need to look ahead in that way. Where's the balance between spending time with people and spending alone time with God? It shouldn't be too difficult to balance, it seems to me, if you make a practice of getting up early in the morning and talk to God before you talk to anybody else. Now, I don't want to hear anybody saying, I can't get up that early. <laughs> yes, you can, if you make up your mind. Just do it. 
Your book, These Strange Ashes, is so different from the other books. At what point in your life did you write it? And what were your feelings? And what were you feeling? Um, trying to think of These Strange Ashes was the first book that I wrote, was it? Okay. No, no, it's, the, it's the, about the fourth one, yeah. fourth or fifth. Well, I can answer Why it that. is so different from the others? I, I can't answer that. Can you? Well, yes. <laughs> I, 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 I think I can answer this. It was about the fourth book you wrote, Through Gates of Splendor, The Savage, My, the, uh, Sav the Savage, My Kinsman, and Shadow of the Almighty, all biographical, but These Strange Ashes was the biography of Elizabeth's first year, and she had four major losses in that year. And so she writes about that and the sovereignty of God. It actually, These Strange Ashes and uh, A Path Through Suffering are somewhat on the same principle. Right? It's, it's God mm -hmm. in control. So yes, it's much. just the mystery of God's ordaining of things. There were the three, the other things that where the five men were killed, and then the fact that I had these four major blows when I was working in the western jungle. How does one balance ministry on the mission field with raising one's own children? I don't know whether this is a full-time missionary that's asking or whether you're one of the people who goes on short-term mission things. If you are going to go for a lifetime, uh, that's wonderful to have children because you, the children, for one thing, will learn the languages much faster than you will and they also can be very, uh, how would you put it, with one, one foot in the United States and one foot in Africa. Children of, of parents like that, I think, often have a very great advantage. And as for raising your own children, it's... Well, I think it's all the question is about balance. But, you know, that's... Balance in ministry, yes. Well, if you have a husband, then he's probably the one who does the most with the natives or the people there but it should be a joint effort. But the mother is usually the one who has to take care of the children. Very often it's possible in foreign languages, foreign places to have helpers. I could get a girl to work for me for 25 cents a week in Ecuador. In your book, Through Gates of Splendor, what hymn is the verse taken from when you dedicated the book to the parents of the five men who were killed? Oh, it's your hymn you used to sing in um, Long Island. We Rest on You. No, we rest no on it you. wasn't We Rest on You. It was Give Up Thy Sons to oh, yeah. Bear the Message Glory. Right. Oh, Zion, haste. Oh, Zion, yeah. oh, Zion, haste. What hymn is the verse taken from when you dedicated the book? I can't remember which verse it is, but it, it is under the heading of Oh, Zion, haste. You can find it in a good Lutheran hymnal. That was 40 years, 50 years ago when I was in a little Norwegian Lutheran church. We sang that about every other Sunday. I am so amazed at how you and Lars work together to enable you to serve in your calling and gifting. Can you give us some insight as to how you arrived at your working together with you in public yet under your husband? I think you need to have to answer that one. <laughs> I'm not sure how, I, how it happened. Well... 
after we married, I, <clears throat> I really didn't know the extent of what Elizabeth did, so I took a couple of trips with her. And I had been in a traveling salesman and different things, and I saw right away that if you're a writer, at least you ought to give people the opportunity to have some of your works. And so it seemed to me that someone should just carry a books and do tape recording and make it available if people want it. If, if they don't want it, it's fine. And uh, so it just began that way. Uh, I love these words of today, gifting. I, for the life of me, I don't know what... If somebody says, what's your gift? I don't know. Um, <laughs> Never have thought much about it. I've always just done whatever came next. So when people ask me what I, what I do, you know, and I'm here, generally at, at a place like this, I find out where the phones are, the ladies' room, and different things you need. So when people see me in the back and they think I'm part of the church family, I can tell them, well, that's part of it. And, uh, you know, whatever there is to do, you know, move a few chairs and what have you. So I tell people generally when they say, what, I, what do I do? I say, well, I'm a gopher. And uh, I do whatever's necessary. When I'm home, you know, it's the mail, it's the packing up tapes, it's the books, it's the answering the telephone, uh, planning, talking to the travel agent and different things, and try to help whatever uh, I can with letters. I, I answer some of the mail. But the thing that is, has always been true is that I've never felt bad being in the, in the back or somebody calling me Mr. Elliot or something. You know, God has given certain gifts, if you want to use that word, to me. Elizabeth's experiences are different. Even if I knew the stories and told them, it wouldn't be the same. And, of course, she has never, uh, she's not a person who puts herself forward. So that has been a, a very much of a blessing all these years. And that's about all we can say on it, I think, unless you want to add. Well, I was going to say, I, I traveled on speaking tours for how many years, 12? Well, 12, 14 12 years. or 14 years by myself before I married Lars. So of course it never crossed my mind to take any of the books along. I, we did, I never sold any books at all during that time. And now it's phenomenal the amount of no. books that Lars finds. I don't, no, I don't. I'll tell you, that's, that's really not true. All I do is to stand around. Uh, <laughs> would you? Go ahead and answer this while I, you do. Yes, I was Go just ahead. going to. Okay. <laughs> when my second husband was dying of cancer, I needed someone to help me in the house. He was a big man, and he'd gotten to the point where he was totally bedridden, and I could hardly handle him myself. This was in the days before there was uh, hospice and things like that. So I thought the easy thing would be to call the seminary, of which my husband had been a professor, to see if there'd be a, a seminary student who would be able to come and live in my house with me as a lodger. And so he was to move in on the following Monday. But Monday, my husband died. So naturally, this young man assumed he was not going to be needed. But here I was with an empty house. My daughter had left to go to Wheaton College. I had two empty bedrooms. And so I thought, well, it might be kind of nice to have some lodgers, some boarders, or whatever you want to call them. And so I called this young man, told him that there was a room available if he'd like to use it, and so he came and moved in. Whereupon, the thought came to me that it doesn't really look quite proper for one lady and one man to be living under the same roof unless they're husband and wife. 
So I thought the very, even though obviously I was considerably older than this man, there could be people who would raise their eyebrows. And so I thought a simple answer would be to get a second seminary student to come and live in our house. So I got a second one, and these two men lived in my house for two years, at the end of which, number one married my daughter. <laughs> number two married me. And when I told that story, I have to, have to give you this P.S. When I told that story to a little old lady who lived in Texas, and she had just lost her husband, when she heard my story, she said, I believe I'm going to rent my house out to three widowers. <laughs> what is your prescription for a mother raising children with an unsaved husband? Well, you just do a lot of praying. You lift your children up to the Lord. And of course, you're praying that God will change your husband's heart. But it's do the next thing, which happens to be whatever the next thing is. And remember, I keep going over this again and again. We only have one day. Yesterday is gone. You don't know what may happen tomorrow. So just take one day at a time, and you won't be frantic. Well, we've, we've had this question. It's not the first time. There are a lot of uh, women in the same kind of situation. And you don't try to coerce, coerce your husband into joining you in prayer and reading the Bible or devotional, whatever you want to do it. But I assume the husband is out on his job. And certainly sometime during the day, you're the one to give the Christian... Uh, teaching and beginnings to these children so but just do it in a manner which won't get your husband upset uh, we've we've had many that have had to go through that way and then at the same time just pray for your husband and one never knows what God will do I'll answer this one how did you how did Elizabeth meet her second husband if you did not date uh, her second husband was Addison Leach and I think he would have been a very enjoyable man he was a big fellow and uh, professor and, and president of Tokyo College at one time, and Elizabeth was invited to speak at this college where she met Addison Leach, who at that time was married, but his wife was dying of cancer. So it was about two years after that when uh, she died, and uh, I think he might have cut his eyes on Elizabeth before she passed on and decided after the fact that he would kind of call her up again. So he did. After she died, why, they somehow met at another speaking engagement, and it didn't take too long before he asked her to marry him. And they had four years plus of marriage, and then he died of cancer. Should we always err on the side of grace or hold our children and others to obedience? We belong to a church that feels grace covers all sins and that we should not judge each other. Well, I would agree that we're not to judge each other if you're talking about another family. Grace does cover all our sins, but at the same time, the scripture is very clear that children are to obey their parents, for this is right. That's what the Bible says. So you can't scratch grace 
but yeah. were you going to say something else? No. I don't think you need to err on the side of grace or hold our children and others to obedience. Well, what, they're saying, what they're saying is if you hold them to the obedience, you, 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 you're not giving them enough grace, I guess. I don't... It's a little bit difficult. I'd say go ahead and put the stick to them if they're disobedient. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. Yeah, I, I, can, I can remember I was, I was, I was reared by my grand, grandparents for 10 years. And my grandfather had to lay the birch branches on me more than once. I always <clears throat> look back at that with thanksgiving because he did it in a wonderful way. And if your children are misbehaving, uh, I met a man one time in North Carolina who went, he said, you know, I'm going to have to give my little son a whipping. I said, why not? Because he doesn't think I love him. And I said, what's happening? He said, well, each day he tests me more and more. And <laughs> finally he said, I've got to do it today. And, he, and then next day I saw him and he said, well, everything's fine. Air is clear. The boy knows I love him. And he had messed around and disobeyed and he got a spanking. And then the father told him how he loved him and the little boy was up in his lap. And the same with my grandparents. Everything that I got, I deserved and I knew it. And because of that, you know, it, punishment was needed. And uh, it's not abuse. You know, you don't whip in anger. You don't whip. You, you give a little spanking. But you do it when in, in control and in a normal way and explain. You know, don't explain. You don't have to explain why you're giving it necessarily. But then afterwards, you need to tell them you love them. That's why you're doing it. There's some follow-up. I wish for my family to be raised in the way you were. Your parents were very inspirational in, this, in the, this morning's session. My question is, how? You make up your mind what kind of a home you want to have and what kind of children you're planning to raise. And then you organize things in your, ha in your home according to those lines. It goes without saying that everything was regimented in our house. Not as though it was a military or anything, it's just perfectly clear that we knew what time we had to get up in order to get dressed, in order to be at breakfast time. And breakfast was always at seven o'clock. And I would say my father was always at the breakfast table when we got there. So he would probably have been there at least a minute ahead of us. But my father would get up at five o'clock in the morning. We didn't eat till seven. As soon as, as breakfast was over, we were herded into the living room. Either my father or mother sat down at the piano and began to play one hymn, all the stanzas. You know, this is, these are just things that parents can choose to do. I can't remember ever rebelling against the singing of the hymns, the reading of the Bible, and it was just routine for us to get down on our knees and, and listen to our father pray and then we all joined in the Lord's Prayer at the end. Not that we were paying much attention to what the words say, it's just that little children can learn anything very quickly. And don't be discouraged thinking, oh, well, they're not getting much out of this. Just, just do it, that's the answer. How, how do you do it? You just do it, you make up your mind what you want. We have a, <clears throat> excuse me, we have a friend that the children used to come and say, well, Everybody else is doing it. And she said, well, that's fine. 
We're not everybody else. And the same thing if they come and say, well, you know, we're, we're as this lady said, well, we're some kind of a freak. You say, well, we really are. We're different. We're Christians, and we do certain things. And remember that wherever you draw or set up a fence, the young ones, they're going to press the fences. So if you move the fence, you're going to have the same fight just a little further down the road. And I just want to add that we six children cannot thank God enough for teaching us the great hymns of the faith. We learned the great hymns, not the praise songs. There were no such things. But we had the Bible reading, we had the singing of hymns, and we got down on our knees and we prayed. And as a result, God, we have raised that kind of children ourselves. I am currently going with a young man who asked, asked me to marry him. I said yes, but I feel that God doesn't want me to marry. Why in the world did you say yes? What can I do? She says, well, if you really don't think God wants you to marry, then you go back and tell the man you made a mistake. But don't explain to him. If any of you are in a situation where it's a wrong kind of situation, whether you're engaged or not engaged, you don't cut the tails, you don't cut the puppy's tail off an inch at a time. You just break it and don't explain. Don't get into a discussion. I ask a lot of older women, how can you raise your children so they won't rebel and they will follow the Lord? The only answer I get is to do the best you can. What do you think? Just, well, we've already answered that part, but I want to give a word to the older people what they could be doing for these younger ones, you know, the Titus to how to be young wives and mothers you know, when you speak to them. Examples. I can't think what you're referring to. You tell them. Well, we, it's just, I was thinking about this. The only answer I get is to do the best you can. I can't imagine an older woman saying to a young mother, and if the older woman has already reared her children, that she would just say, well, do the best you can. Surely the older women have got more illustrations and things to tell these young mothers who are harried. Uh, if nothing more, go over and let them have two-hour rest in the afternoon and take care of the kids. But there is a real need for the older ones to maybe have certain examples and ways in which they brought their children up that you can pass on to the family. And, and Elizabeth, you've talked about the Titus, you know, like Titus II women and, and uh, what Barb Tompkins does down in Arizona. Well, anyway, we're going to leave it at that one. We'll just forget that. But anyway, there's more than that. Yes, two things that will prevent it. Any words of wisdom for a young gal struggling in marriage who's waiting on the Lord for answers? Well, of course, I don't have any way of knowing what the struggle is. 
um, I would certainly say you're doing the right thing in waiting on the Lord for answers. It's a bit difficult to know what the specifics are. Well, Do you have something? Was it, think in terms of the others, do you remember that? Two things that prevented the divorce. No, I can't remember that. Think in terms of the others. I am greatly encouraged by your conviction of God's sovereignty. How would you tell someone how to develop a strong conviction of God's sovereignty? Well, read the Bible. You know, you can find all kinds of illustrations of sovereignty. It means the one who is in charge of everything. He is sovereign. And it is a wonderful and comforting and calming thing to realize that the Lord is up there and he knows exactly what he's doing. And we don't have to know all the whys and the wherefores. We just can trust God and rest in the wonderful assurance that he has got, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, sister, in his hands. <laughs> Do you think God has a spe specific plan for our lives? Yes, of course he has. I mean, God knows what our lives are going to be. He has a specific plan. That doesn't mean that he is re requiring it of you when you're sitting, when you're on your knees and saying, Lord, is it okay if we do so and so and so and so? To walk with the Lord is a one day at a time thing. And God is going to show you one day at a time, usually. Sometimes there are reasons why you have to know further in advance. But it shouldn't, it, the way we discover God's plan for our lives is by prayer and Bible reading. Those little things about God's guidance from your book. You know, read the Bible and pray. Those simple little rules. Well, read the Bible. No. And say, what is it? Say you'll do anything he wants. Read the Bible, pray. You're better at these. He has stuff in his head that is gone out of mine. I can't think what it is. Well, if you, if you want to know God's will, the first thing is that you've, over, you've mentioned is you have to say that you will do anything that he wants to do. Right. right. Put yourself totally at his disposal and say, Lord, here I am. All of you for, forever do anything you want with me. And he's written a book. So read the Bible and pray. The Bible and pray, yes, that's and what we're supposed to be. She gets this from students a lot of times. They want to know what, the, what, what's the, what is the will of God for me. I'm a student. Well, to study, not to cheat, turn in your papers on time, uh, be nice to your roommate, clean the room. All of those things they don't want to hear because that's now. Dramatic. They want to wait for something down five years down the road. Well, anyway, that will, will give you something to think about on the, on the guidance of God. How long can we study? Please comment on the shift you have seen from hymns to choruses in your lifetime by traveling to many churches. What is your take on the shift? There is no comparison between the great hymns of the faith and the praise songs. Now, I'm not knocking praise songs, but I see it as this very sad loss that we don't have. There are many churches in which there is no such thing 
as a great hymn of the church. If thou but suffer God to guide thee is one of them, how firm a foundation, uh, just wonderful things. And I think of when, the five, when we knew that the five men were missing, we didn't know yet whether they were dead or alive. It was those wonderful words from Isaiah which had been put to music. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow will not overflow, for I will be with thee thy trials to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. So you're not going to find something like that in a praise song. So when we travel around, if I have any opportunity at all to just plant a bug in somebody's ear, could you add a few great hymns of the faith? And nowadays, of course, it's very easy to put them on the screen. You don't have to have the hymn books, but you certainly could put some of the great hymns on the screen. How are your daughter, Valerie, and her husband and family doing? They're fine, as far as I know. Valerie is such a blessing and encouragement to me when she joins you on your radio program. Yes, she's a very great encouragement to me. And just a few weeks ago, she came and stayed with me for one whole week, all by herself. It had not happened for eight years. We had gone eight years without her coming to stay for a week with me, and it was just wonderful. Why do Christians have the same divorce rate as non-Christians? That is a very sad phenomenon, but it's the truth. I, I don't know the answer. Do you? Well, I, it may not be an, the answer, but I have two guesses. One is that unfortunately, and we get this in letters, the leadership are heading that way. And if the leadership heads that way, and I don't mean just by preachers only, but if the leadership heads that way and they remain in position of leaderships, then it's much more uh, possible that people who are sitting looking up to these people say, well, if it seems to be all right for them and they didn't do too badly by doing so, uh, why not? And the other thing uh, is from the pulpit itself, I think, I don't know how often I ever hear a sermon from a pulpit on something like this talking about, well, you can, you can broaden this. You can, you can broaden it, uh, divorce, adultery, uh, single people, you know, the whole sexual aspect of single people. Uh, I think there are a lot of places where the word ought to come from the pulpit, but I think that there are a lot of preachers who are afraid to tackle it. And I don't blame them. I mean, they're going to get the, you know, 40% of the church or whatever upset about it. Words of encouragement for a wife and mother who must solely provide the shaping of a Christian family since my husband is not a Christian. Well, we pretty much answered that one, didn't we? Yes. She has to... Try to find a time when you can pray and talk with your children. Oh, do you have that prayer of, of Amy Carmichael's with the children here in this thing? Father, oh, here, sweet, praying. Let's see if you can. Mm -hmm. I don't think so. Kid, do you know it by heart? Some of it I might know by heart. Father, this if, is. Yeah, I was going to ask you to, if you can. If you can recall it to say it slowly because I had a lot of people ask about this and they could write it down if you if you have it. 
Well, I'll, give, I'll take a stab at it. I can't be sure I can get through it all the way. Father, hear us. We are praying. Hear the words our hearts are saying. We are praying for our children. Father, hear us. We are praying. Hear the words our hearts are saying. We are praying for our children. Keep them from the powers of evil, from the secret hidden peril, from the whirlpool that would suck them, from the treacherous quicksand, pluck them. Father, Father, save our children. Read the language of our longing. Read the wordless pleadings thronging, Holy Father, for our children. And wherever they may bide, lead them home at eventide. You can get that in Amy Carmichael's little book called Toward Jerusalem. It is in print. It can be had from, what's the name of the place? Christian Literature Crusade in Fort Fort Washington, Washington, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Christian Literature Crusade, Fort Washington, Pennsylvania. And there are 14 out of Amy's 40 books that she wrote. 14 of them are still in print and can be gotten from that organization. What do you think it means to submit? Do I let my husband tell me what to do? You bet your life you do. you got to submit. I had an occasion like this today where my husband told me to do something and I didn't want to do it, but I done did it. <laughs> Not very graciously, necessarily. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. <laughs> well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what it was. It was that... There was a mix-up on the first time. Elizabeth thought she was just having 25 minutes on the first talk, and I said, no, you have 45 minutes, so just expand or take up a little something else. So that's what she did. But, you know, so many times this is a hypothetical question because people are always wondering, well, what if my husband wants me to do something that's completely against Scripture or, or you know, evil and all as rarely happens, and I think, after all, submission, it's, it's not a warrant for a man to be a tyrant to his wife. He's supposed to love his wife as Christ loves the church. Now, we don't do that. I don't do it. I'm supposed to, but I fail. And if I think in terms of Elizabeth's good instead of mine, it'll go a long way for her to then respond in a biblical role of submission. If I think of her that way, it'll be a, go a long way in enabling me to be a leader and ahead of her. So that it's really an attitude, I think. There are seldom times that you have to get to the point where you say, where we can't make a decision. You want to do this, I want to do that. Then, of course, it does come down to the responsibility of the man. If he takes care of his family and if he's doing this, whatever he's doing, he, he has to make the choice. And then the wife has to you know, leave, leave it at that and, and the consequences is the man's responsibility.
as for the last half of that other question, do I let my husband tell me what to do? I wouldn't put it quite so baldly, but I would certainly ask if you could maybe point something out that he hadn't thought about or something like that. You don't necessarily have to submit instantaneously, but the scripture is very clear. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands because they're so smart. Is that what it says? No, it says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. So your husband, if you submit to him, your husband's the one that's going to have to answer to God for what he required of you. What is your observation of the caliber of Christian strength and character in today's Christian? I can't make blanket statements like that. I certainly do know very high caliber Christians with a great deal of strength and character. But generally speaking, they're pretty far between. Will you please encourage those of us who may be in the darkness of depression? The Isaiah passage. You know, if you want to pour your life out. Oh, I can't think of it. Well, you think of it. We, have a, we had an interesting thing. A lady named Joy who was in a, had been in a clinical depression off and on for years. And Elizabeth's only remaining aunt lives in Quarryville in a retirement center where she, and she's stone deaf, she's 91. And somehow there's joy wound up down in Quarryville Presbyterian home visiting some of these inmates or whatever you want to call them, the people who live there. <laughs> and she stumbled onto Anne who can't hear. And the visitation that Joy has been doing down there and, and just talking to these people transformed her depression. And she is really a joyful person. And I, here's a passage that deals with this. Isaiah 58, verse 10, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your faith. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. So there's, when you can't find help for yourself, for your own depression, you can give it. And that's what Joy was doing with my aunt. How can I balance wisdom with faith, trusting God to bring my family into a potentially dangerous area? Prayer is the answer. I don't think there are many great different answers. If, there's, if, if you're trying to balance wisdom with faith, then put faith in one hand and wisdom in the other and just get down on your knees and say, Lord, show me. And I take it for granted that he is going to show us. It may take us a few days or a few weeks. As a single, did you ever feel a hurt deep within in observance of those engaged or married? How consuming the thoughts others had of that person, person more than hearing. 
thoughts toward a mind consumed with God. And so, Father God, was just not enough that somehow God was, follow, somehow God was just not enough. How did you serve to help to keep God sufficient, whether married or unmarried? To say that somehow God was just not enough, he is enough. You're not allowing him to be enough. You're determined that you've got to have something else. And there are times when there is no place to turn except to God. And you will find that he is always going to be there. He like, wants us to be like a watered garden. For the blessing of other people, to go back to the uh, young woman who blessed my aunt, uh, what a transformation that was. But she had to forget about herself. So if you, the, this person has asked, did you ever feel a hurt deep within an observance of those engaged or married? I don't think I would have called it hurt. I might have been a little bit envious at times and thinking, wouldn't it be wonderful if the Lord would give me a husband? But I was very skinny, very tall, and very shy, and I had never been a popular girl. So I really wasn't expecting a whole lot. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if this is a... Uh... Colorado epidemic here or not, but that's another question. What do you do in a relationship where the man keeps bringing up having sex and you're celibate? Well, if, you're, if the two of you are single, get rid of them. If get lost. Get, them, get, get lost. Uh, if this is a marriage situation, then you, you have a problem that you need to discuss. Um... This one here? No, this one. Okay. What is the biblical role of single women in foreign missions? Well, of course, I was a single woman most of the time when I was a missionary. And I always tried to defer to the young, just barely uh, learning Indians. And Jim had picked out two or three young men that he felt were potential preachers. They were maybe 18 or 20 or 22 at the very most. And so when Jim died and I came back to my station to let my Indian friends know that Jim was not coming back, they were just aghast and they just thought everything's going to fall apart. And I said, no, you remember the things that Don Jaime was teaching you. Now it's going to be your job. Oh, but senora, aren't you going to preach for us? I said, no, I'm not going to preach. I will be here in my home the way Aquila and Priscilla uh, were willing to be helpful to other people, but I said, you're the ones who now must take the responsibility of teaching these new believers. And it worked. And for years and years, that church thrived. Based on the leave and cleave scriptures, does God ever call a single woman away from parents? Yeah. Certainly. Amy Carmichael left home, never went back. She was a she was uh, of a family of seven, and I think her mother took one trip to India in the 52 years that Amy was there. Uh, we're about at the end of the time, and uh, let me just run a couple of these. Someone know about the Chinese Christian who praised God for latrine duty, whether Elizabeth knew him. No, but her brother David heard about that. And if you want the poems she mentioned, a lot of them that she reads is from Amy Carmichael towards Jerusalem. 
and Valerie's older children, Walter, the oldest grandson, is living with us for a while, working at Gordon College, and her two oldest daughters, Elizabeth and Christiana. Elizabeth's at Wheaton, and Christiana is at Trevecca College in Tennessee, at, in Murfreesboro something. And here's the last question, if you can make that quick. And there was also a question about head covering. If you're here and you can see me, I, I've got a little paper on that. Uh, How do you suggest ministering to a Christian student who is graduating from Wheaton, who claims to, to now be a practicing Christian feminist and considers women superior to any other creation? She is proud to be closed-minded and proud of breaking the rules of Christian thought. Unless she came to me, I would not try to minister to her. The women who have become these practicing Christian feminists are a law unto themselves. I find it extremely difficult to even think about them because I think it's so totally non-biblical. I pray you've been encouraged and inspired by what you've heard today. And we'll keep joining us here and on social media for my granny's inspiration. Until then, remember, the eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms.